0: Well, good morning. You guys doing all right? You well? You good? Anointed. What's your name? Timothy Church, what's your name? No, you're not. What's your name? Janice, anointed. I grew up with Andrew and Tim, um, so know them from way back, but Janice, right? Anointed sister, so good. Um, Don't you love that we don't have to beg? God, like, please come hang out, please just make your presence, please, please, please. like, we don't have to sit, sit in the back and beg before worship, like, because God's presence is everywhere, you know, and it's just, make us aware, and like, this morning His presence is here, because He's always here, but like, there's just such an awareness over the building and, and in the room, and it's just so good, so thank you guys, and um, thank you to your pastor, he's uh, someone that I've known for a while, I don't know how long he's been here, but we met soon after he came here, and he's someone that I've talked to over the years and just kind of asked for his advice and wisdom and and so he's just a good friend so thank you to pastor tom for asking me to speak you guys have a really good leadership team and so don't ever take advantage of that all right oh they laughed but seriously it's true okay you have a really good leadership team so don't take it for granted don't don't that's what i'm trying to say don't not take advantage don't take it for granted okay love them um and this is a good place. This is good soil. This is good ground. This is Jamestown, right? This is this is home, at least to my wife and I, for a long time until we just moved to Asheboro like eight months ago. So that's where I'm doing work with my dad there. It's going well. That being said, I'm going to be in Luke 19, and we're talking this morning. is this week two of this series, and we're talking about the outcasts and how Jesus accepts and Jesus loves, and he goes to those in society who are outcast, right? And we're going to be in Luke 19. I'm going to go ahead and read it, and if you're not there, it's fine. Just go ahead and start working your way there, and if you need the table of contents to get there, do that as well, because that's what it's there for. Don't be ashamed of that. So Luke 19 is where we're going to be. And it's on the screen, so let's go. He entered, he being Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was rich. And Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because Zacchaeus was small of stature. So Zacchaeus ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see Jesus. For Jesus was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked at him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. Verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. They being the crowd, they all grumbled. He is going to be in the guest of a man who is a sinner, they said. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor And if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Lord, God, we love you and thank you for your word. Thank you for these words. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you for your example. And God, over the next several minutes, where there needs to be healing, Lord, Lord, heal us. Where there needs to be freedom, God, begin to set us free. Lord, where there needs to be, where we need to become better lovers of people, Lord, begin to do that work in our life this morning. Use your word, God, to change your people. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this house and how you're blessing it, Lord. We don't want to take it for granted. We love you. Amen. Amen. July 7th, 1996. The year of our Lord was uh, one of the most important days in American history. Changed our society forever. The location was Daytona Beach, Florida. The venue was the Ocean Center. The event was WCW back at the Be- bash at the beach. Okay. What's going on is this, is WCW, I even sound like a good old wrestling guy, WCW, I grew up in Davidson County, okay, give me some slack, WCW was at war with, like wrestling wars, not real war, Um, was at war with. WWF, which is now WWE, I know, don't come at me with that, alright, but it used to be WWF, and at this point, um, they were at war with each other, they both had events going on every Monday night, we had WCW with Monday Night Nitro, and, and uh, WWF had Raw, or Raw is War, or whatever, it kind of had some name changes, and now it's just Raw, uh, and what happened was, like in May of 96, two guys from the WWF, Um, diesel and razor ramon they came over to wcw right and it like it, it it shook the world you guys probably remember this it shook the world like oh my goodness who in the world? These guys are under contract under WWF, but they're here on WCW territory. And not only that, like they're on TV. They have mics. Like they, at first they just sat in the crowd. and It's like the camera would show them like, oh, what, what, what are they doing? And then they jumped the podium one week. And then the next week they took over like the ring announcer. And I mean, it's just like, what is going on? And so what we found out was they were here. They, they said their, their narrative was they're here to take over to create a new world order, okay? And so this, this takeover was going to kind of conclude, or maybe begin, we'll say kind of both of those, um, on July 7th, 1996, I was nine years old. This is random, I know exactly where I was. I was at y'all's cousin's house in Denton, North Carolina, okay? Rodney Martin, y'all don't know Rodney Martin, but that's where I was, all right? So watch, because we didn't have pay-per-view, we couldn't get that at my house, um, not because my dad didn't like it, it's just we didn't have the right box or whatever, so we had to go to his house, or his cousin's house. So, um, I was at their place. Final match, we had Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, those were the outsiders, the guys who came from the WWF, against um, Sting, Lex Luger, and the macho man, Randy Savage. Three on two. And so, the the deal was, who is this third guy? Who's the third person for Hall and Nash? Who's it going to be, you know? And so the match happens, and they do their thing. whatever. we get to the end of it, and it looks like that, um, Sting and Luger and uh, Savage were going to win, and they kind of have the upper hand. They should because it's three on two. All right? And then at the very, very end, you guys might know what happens because you know your American history. They, they, t- they still teach us in class, right? They t- I'm sure they do. Uh, uh, you know your American history. Hulk Hogan, the man in the red and yellow, right? He comes down the aisle, and I remember even as like a nine-year-old, I did not, I always pulled for the bad guys, okay? I was, Ric Flair, greatest of all time, uh, my hero, whatever. Uh, so like, that, that was my guy. I just liked the bad guys. And so when he came down, I thought, oh, man, I don't want Hogan. Like, what's he doing? He's going to come save, do your thing, save the day, blah, 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 right? Well, he comes down the aisle, and instead of... Um, being with the good guys, he was actually the third member with Holly Nash, and he turned bad, right? And He dropped a leg on one of the good guys, and then the bad guys, they won the match. And what happened after that was over the next few years, this NWO, they were black and white, that was their colors, They would, uh, they, their, their, their faction or their group or whatever, they, it grew, right? And what they would do is they would beat people up, and when they beat you up, they would take your shirt off and spray paint on your back, NWO, no big deal. That's what they did. You guys remember this. So, I have a brother who's younger. He was probably at the time seven. And he loves wrestling. Still does. I mean, he loves it. He's always loved it. Been way bigger fan than I was. And my brother was, uh, so my dad pastored a church, and so he was, my brother was there one day, and we had some spray paint in our youth room. And my brother and his friend, um, Got, got into, there's like seven eight years old. Um, they got, it wasn't Tim, although I think you rode with him, but Tim was not there at this time. Okay, this was another friend. Um, my brother and his friend Zach, they got into the spray paint, being the impressionable young men that they were. They went to the side of the church. The graffiti artist's career began, and on the side of the church, they put N-W-O, like all over the building, N-W-O. Wo for life, all right? I mean, just all over the place. I'm, I, I catch it. I'm like, you guys are going to be in so much trouble. Like, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm excited. Let's go see. Oh, it's a very condemning, young man. Um, so uh, my dad finds out about it. And I think, oh, this is going to be good. But you know how, like, when you're the first kid, you have, like, all these rules. You know what I'm talking about? And this is not bad. It's just life. It's just you have, like, all the rules. Like, you better be home by 11 or whatever. And then, like, the second kid is a little bit more grace. And then finally, whenever you get to the end, it's like almost anything goes. It's like, I'm so tired. I don't even care. Okay, whatever. Well, I think that's what happened. My brother was the youngest, and so like I was expecting like a first child beatdown, right? Or of some sort, like punishment, something. And, uh, And that's not at all what happens. What happens was my dad, I mean, he was a little mad, but it was just like, hey guys, you know, like don't do that anymore. Here's some stuff, clean it up, and I'm going to help you. Like what in the world? What it was, was a father who was extending grace to a son. And it made no sense to the outsiders. In this story, we have Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is, he, he's in Jericho and he is a tax collector for the, Rome, the Romans, right? So, this Roman Empire, it's, it's growing. Man, if you watch wrestling, there are like so many wrestling. Puns right there is ridiculous. Not intended. But uh, Roman Empire, outsiders, all that. It's all wrestling stuff. Anyways, the Roman Empire is growing. And so what they would do, they had to fund this growth somehow. So they would recruit teenage Jewish teenage boys. And they recruited them to be their tax collector. And what they would say was, they'd say, listen, you tax your people, your fellow Jews, You tax them what is required by law, and you give that to us. However, if you want to tax them a little bit more or a lot more, I don't really care. You tax them, and you keep the rest for yourself. That's the way this is going to work. This is like a pyramid scheme going wild, okay? And so, Zacchaeus, he got really good at it. So good that he became the chief tax collector, which meant not only was he collecting taxes, but he had... People that collected taxes working under him. Jewish people. Jesus. I'm gonna skip that because we don't have time. Never mind. So he had Jewish tax collectors working under him. Okay, this he would be known as a traitor, like a gangster, the uh, the anti Robin Hood. Rome. They built their empire by taking over influential cities like Jericho, which is where this story takes place. Jericho was a big city, a lot of money. Rome took over and built their empire by robbing Jericho. Zacchaeus built his empire by robbing Jericho. One theologian, William Barclay, he says that uh, Zacchaeus was the most hated man in the district. Nobody liked him. He's a traitor. He is a gangster. He's a crook. Why would you? Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming to town. Growing up Jewish, he thought, hmm, I've heard about the possibility of a coming Messiah. I'm interested in this. So Zacchaeus as a plan. I want to go, just like everyone else that was there that day, I want to see Jesus. I've heard the stories. I've heard what He can do. I've heard about His potential, like the miracles He's done. I've heard about His teachings. I want to see it for myself. Problem. Zacchaeus is short. Another problem. If, if you guys, like if I robbed you, guys, I'm short, so this kind of works. If I robbed you guys but I'm one of y'all, but I robbed you to pay some other government who's taken over our land. If I go out in the public square trying to see Jesus, y'all probably aren't going to treat me very nicely. Discernment tells me that, okay? Y'all aren't, y'all, yeah, y'all aren't going to be very friendly. There's going to be some elbows thrown. There might be some sucker punches or whatever. So Zacchaeus, being short, it's like, I'm not even fighting the crowd. I'm running ahead. He runs ahead to the sycamore tree, and he climbs it, and he just waits for Jesus. So here comes Jesus. He's going along. I don't really know the context of the setting, to be honest with you, but he's going along, and people are there like, oh, there he is. There's Jesus. We've heard about his miracles. We've heard what he can do. We've heard about his teachings. I can't believe he's in Jericho. There he is. Jesus is just walking through. And he stops at the tree where Zacchaeus is. And he says, Zacchaeus, how do you know my name? Hurry and come down. And I know this isn't a talk on hurry. It's a talk on outcast. But this is the only time in Scripture where you see Jesus in a hurry. This the only time. And I can't park here too long, but this is like my, this is my, I don't know, bread and butter, we'll say. I don't know. This is my passion, I guess. In this cultural moment where everything is go, 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 I think we can learn something from the posture of Jesus, how he was never in a hurry. Ever. Last thing about it, Dallas Willard, who's a philosopher that I absolutely love, professor at USC, like the Southern California version, not South Carolina. Um, Amazing man of God. He was asked to describe Jesus in one word. Like, what's one word to describe Jesus? His word? Relaxed. He said, you never see Jesus in a hurry. Ever. Except for this right here. Hurry and come down. Hurry. Zacchaeus, this is... Hilarious. Zacchaeus comes down and it says he received Jesus joyfully. Next verse says the, the crowd looked at him and said, oh. Jesus is going to hang out with him? The sinner? Many times in Scripture, Jesus is called the friend of sinners. However, most of the time, if not all the times that he's called that, he's not... He, Like people who hang out with Jesus don't call him that. You know who calls him that? The Pharisees. People who oppose Jesus. That's who says he's the friend of sinners. So when they say Jesus is the friend of sinners, when you read that in the in the scriptures, it's not, oh man, Jesus, he's the friend of sinners. What a guy. It's not that. It's Jesus, the friend of sinners? He's hanging out with that guy? That's who he's rolling with? Out of all the people you could have picked in Jericho, that's the one you go to eat with? Like the meal that you're going to eat at, the house where you're going, it was paid for because that guy robbed me of my money. Like the money I was saving up for, I don't know, my daughter's bicycle for her birthday. I was saving up money. He, I, can't, I couldn't buy it for because Zacchaeus robbed me. That's the guy? My grandmother is living in poverty because of that guy. And that's the guy you pick? Like, I understand Jesus who hangs out with the oppressed. I don't get Jesus who picks the oppressors. You know what I'm saying? So when we read, oh, he's the friend of sinners. Usually it's not, Jesus is the friend of sinners. What a guy. It's, what's he doing? And that's the context of the situation. That's the context of the story. It's why, of all the people, why is he going there? This meal is paid for with my money that Zacchaeus stole. And Zacchaeus receives Jesus joyfully. Like, ha-ha, suckers. I got your money and I got your Jesus. Okay, and we're going to eat some sushi. All right, so whatever. Like this is not a moment of wow, what a God Jesus is. This is like, what is he doing? Verse 7, they eat. I don't know what they ate. I don't know how long they had like how long they talked. I have no clue. I don't know who was there. No clue. But something shifted between verse seven and verse eight. This is Luke 19. And Luke 18, right before this, that's the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler is a guy who is, we get the, idea, get the picture that he's pretty moral, pretty good guy. Has a lot of money. Maybe he's good looking. Put him on The Bachelor. I don't know. But, uh, but we, we kind of get that picture. And so the rich young ruler in Luke 18 goes up to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus! What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, do this and this and this and this and whatever. Give them the list. And, uh, and the rich young ruler says, okay, good. I've kept all those. All right, well, you know what? There's one more thing. I want you to sell your possessions and give them to the poor. And the rich young ruler walked away sad. Luke 19. Zacchaeus. Another rich guy. Not a moral guy. A jerk. A crook. A gangster traitor the anti-Robin Hood he meets Jesus they have a meal we get to verse 8 and Zacchaeus says this he says and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord behold Lord the half of my goods I give to the poor half of my goods I'm giving to the poor and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, and he had defrauded people of some things, okay? Um, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Whoa, big deal. This is a big deal. This is a huge deal. Why is it a big deal, Josh? I think I'll tell you. Leviticus 5.16, throw it up. This is like the law. This is going back Old Testament. If you know your Bible, if not, no big deal. Now you're learning. This is the law. By law, you must make restitution for the sacred property you have harmed by paying for the loss plus an additional 20%. You get that. If I take $100 from you, I now owe you 120 bucks. Zacchaeus, he takes that law and says, Hey, I'm going to give half of my possessions away to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone, and he had, I'm going to pay it fourfold. Not twenty percent, but four hundred percent. Luke 18. We have a moral guy, the, the, the rich young ruler. He's a ruler in a position of authority. Apparently, according to him, he's done all these things like that Jesus said. He did, he did them all pretty well. He meets Jesus, he goes away sad. Luke 19. We have an immoral guy, a crook, a jerk, all those things. Traitor, you know, gangster, whatever. He meets Jesus. He goes away free. And then verse 9, Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house. This man is the Son of God. Verse 10, Luke 19, 10. For I have come to seek and to save the lost. For I have come to seek and save the lost. That's what he does. That's who Jesus is. He says, I don't care about your messy. Past, I don't care about if you have a moment in your past that kind of changed your life negatively forever, or you think it's changed your life forever, and you live in shame because of that. If that's your story, I'm not intimidated. I'm not intimidated by your sin. I'm not intimidated by your shame. I'm not not intimidated by anything. I come to earth to seek and to save the lost. That's my story. And my grace is available to you no matter what your story is. Is that's Luke nineteen ten? That's who Jesus is. That's what he does. When you consider Matthew one, that's the genealogy of Jesus. The genealogy of Jesus is like it goes like this. Most of the time in genealogies, women aren't listed. In Matthew one, we have well five countless mom, but we have four ladies listed. All four of them are foreigners and non-Jews, and they're all either involved in or they are the product of sexual immorality. Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba, and Ruth. Tamar, she dressed up like a prostitute to seduce her father-in-law Judah. I named my son Judah. God help him. Rahab, she was a prostitute. In Jericho, actually, way before Zacchaeus lived there. If you guys remember the story in the Old Testament where these spies went to spy with the land and they ended up at this house, and, and they're like, We are looking for a place to hang out and hide. Well, come on in, boys. What do you do for a living? I'm a prostitute. Okay. Like, wow. Well, this is interesting. Ruth. She's not involved in sexual immorality. But she is a Moabite. What's a Moabite? Oh, okay, I'll tell you. That's where Lot slept with his daughter and formed a whole new set of people. The Moabites. Bathsheba, rape victim. Who's the rapist? David. King David. Man after God's own heart, David. David. So, right there in Matthew one, we see four women who and, and I'll say this um, throughout history, and in and today it's bad it's always been bad uh, sexual just the abuse of sex, right? And how it just damages societies, okay? All throughout history, right there, we see four women who were involved with, or they were the product of sexual immorality, and Jesus has them right there in his genealogy. It's as if Jesus is saying, I do not care about your past. I go to those who are outcasts. I go to those who are hurting. I go to those who need grace. It's what I do. It's what I'm about. In Matthew, um, in Luke 19, we see that Jesus came For sinners. In Matthew 1, we see that Jesus came through sinners. And so if you're here and you say, okay, here's my story. My story is full of lying. My story is full of glutton. Or man, I love cheating on my taxes every year, man. That's what I do. I'm a tax cheater. Or maybe it's more serious than this. You're some kind of, you've been some kind of victim of, of scandal or uh, maybe you were raped, or whatever. Jesus is saying, no matter what your story is, no matter what, you can be free. If you feel oppressed, if you feel like an outcast, if you feel like no one loves you, I came to seek and to save the lost, and my grace is available to you no matter what is in your past. I do not care. You brought it here today. Congratulations. He does not care. It doesn't matter. It's who He is. It's what He does. And so when you consider Jesus and you consider His grace and you consider Tamar and Rahab and Bathsheba and Ruth and you consider Zacchaeus and their past, I feel like no matter what junk we bring in here, no matter what junk we walk around with, all of that should not push us away from our Savior, but it should push us toward our Savior because our Savior is good. Our Savior is, Savior is loving. Our Savior is patient. And He says, I love you. I came to seek and to save the lost. I don't care what you're about. I don't care about your story. I forgive you. Let's figure this thing out. Let's bring healing. It's the greatest message on the planet. J- Tanisha, Janissa. So, Shh. Tim's wife, I'm sorry, she she talked about it when she was sitting, sitting here praying. She's like, that day where that one day that changed history forever. That's what she's talking about. The same stuff. We're talking about the same thing. Grace is available. Now, as Christians, if you're non-Christian here, you say, I don't really claim to... Preach the Bible or live by the Bible. It's not my thing yet, or whatever. If you're exploring, listen. Keep exploring. You're in a great place. Okay, but the next three minutes it does not apply to you. If you're a Christian, this applies. Listen in, and I'm done in three minutes and 80 let's see, three minutes and forty-eight seconds. We'll go with it. As a follower of Jesus, Christian. You have a mandate. It's non-negotiable. It is non-negotiable. You have a mandate to go be Jesus where you live, where you work, and where you play. And you can't run away from messes. You can't run away from the outcast. You can't run away from people with a lot of back. You, no. You run to them. Because you were them. Luke 19:10, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. We have the same mandate. And if you follow Jesus, you don't have a choice. Like you can't, you know what, Thomas Jefferson, people knock him, and I get why. They say, well, he cut up the Bible, and he just lived the part that he wanted to live. The thing about that is this, at least he was honest about it. At least he was honest. I'm not saying it's right, don't hear that. I'm saying at least he was honest. I know lots of people, like lots of people who follow Jesus, like, they do the same thing. They don't actually cut it up. But the way they live, they're like, uh, you know what? I'm not, I'll do this, this, and this, bang. I ain't doing that. I'm not doing that. I'll do that, but I'm not doing that. What's the difference? What's the difference? There is none. <laughs> and so as followers of Jesus, we have a mandate to say, you know what? I'm going to care about people. I'm going to love people. I'm going to seek and save the lost. And I understand we can't save people. That's the Holy Spirit. But it. we can go love people. Juan Carlos Ortiz, he's a pastor in, um, in South America. He, he tells a story about how he had, this, he had this huge church, right? And in this church, he was going through this series and his um, on love in one another. And so what happened was he was preaching, like going up to preach, like the worship had just ended. He was going up to preach, and as he was going up to preach, he felt the Holy Spirit say, Juan, what are you preaching today? To which Juan, Pastor Juan replied, tell them to love each other. Okay, Juan, how's that been working? How's this series been working? Are they doing it? I don't know. Juan, I don't want you to preach this sermon today. Well, like, why did you tell me, like, why didn't you tell me this on Wednesday? You're like, why do you tell me why I'm walking on the stage? And so Juan Carlos Ortiz gets on the stage and he says, he had no clue what to say. So he gets on the stage and he says, love one another. And then he goes and sits down. And if there were no music playing right now, and if I were to go sit down for like one or two minutes after saying that, y'all would think, this dude is weird. Go back to Asheboro. What's he doing? That's what he did. And then he gets back up after two minutes or so, and he says, love one another. And he goes and sits down again. Nothing happens. He gets up again. Love one another. And he goes and sits down. At this point, someone stands up and says, I know what he's telling us. He's telling us that we need to love one another. Brilliant. However, how can I love, how can I love one another when I've been going to church here for however long I've been going to church here I don't even know his name? And so he got up. And he went and talked to the. Hello, my name is you know Brad or whatever. I don't know his name. What's your name? What's your story? And Juan Carlos Ortiz says over the next like the rest of the sermon was just people going across the aisle saying, "What's your name? What's your story?" And as followers of Jesus, we have a mandate to go out and say, "Hey, I'm seeking and saving the lost. I'm going to love people, no matter what. I'm going to love deeply." What's your name? What's your story? I'm not intimidated by your story. I'm not afraid of your story. Why? Because I have Jesus. I know healing can come to your story. So if you're walking around, you're feeling condemnation, you're feeling shame, you're feeling whatever you might be feeling, regret or whatever, know this, there's room at the cross. Jesus wants to heal. Jesus forgives. What you did is not who you are. What you did is not who you are. You can be free. And as followers of Jesus, we have to go and help set people free. Partner with the Holy Spirit. Go to the outcast. Set set people free. Lord, we thank you for your word. This is an easy application. Such an easy application. It's, Lord, send us out. Send us out to love our neighbors. Send us out to love our co-workers. Lord, send us out on mission, Lord, to uh, be you wherever it is we spend our time, where we live, work, and play. Lord, send us out. And for the people in this room, two, two groups of people I'm thinking about, the first group of people, Lord, who know you and they're feeling pretty free, God, I pray that you would begin to convict them, Lord. Keep them up at night. Don't let them sleep. Until their heart breaks for the people in their lives who don't know you, Lord. Until their heart breaks in the people in their life who are outcasts. Lord, keep us up at night. And Lord, for the people who might feel um, a, a sense of just shame and regret. And you're like, oh, I am the outcast. Lord, I pray that they would understand and know, Lord, that you are good. Your grace is good. Your grace is available to them. And Lord, I pray they would leave here today Free. What they did does not have to be who they are. Help them be free, Lord. As I hand this over to Anson, God, as he closes out, however he wants. Lord, just do a good work in our lives. Bring healing to all of our lives, Lord.